0: University of New England is embarking on a bold new mission, to transform the university's decommissioned boiler house into a purpose-built discovery space. Here, on Curiosity Built the Boiler House, we'll follow the transformation of this 1950s industrial building into a regional science-themed play space. Along the way, we'll also chat with leading experts in education, play space design, and all things STEAM about what makes for an incredible discovery space experience. I'm Dr. James O'Hanlon, and for this episode, I chatted with Alyssa Van Soest, Science Communicator at the Discovery Science and Technology Centre in Bendigo. It doesn't
1: seem like a real job. Uh, Last school holidays, we... um... We did how to make a dragon fly, hence why I keep talking about flight. Because <laughs> I was very intensively designing this science show and I built a dragon. A two and a half meter dragon that at the end of the show we put in all the things we'd learnt about fl- flight and actually got our dragon flying around the room. And not many jobs do you get to dress up as a superhero, build a dragon, design an exhibit make slime and do all these crazy things and make a living out of it.
0: The Discovery Science and Technology Centre is an interactive and educational science centre in Bendigo, in regional Victoria. And this year, they celebrated their 25th birthday,
1: Well, before you even get in the doors, the Discovery Science and Technology Centre is in an old railway goods shed. So it's this massive brick building where they used to pull the trains through these double arches on one side and they'd back the horses and carts up on this platform on the outside. And they'd unload all the goods from Melbourne and take them to all the little towns that didn't have their own railway stations. And you can still see all of that in the building from the outside and the inside. and it's a way that they've repurposed the building but keeping a lot of the history Um, and we get to explore that with the kids when they come into the center as well so when you come through those big double archways at the front of discovery um, we've got a retail shop but then we also have over a hundred hands-on exhibits. We have a planetarium, so a dome where people can sit or lie down and go for a trip through the universe with us. And we have a massive auditorium where we do all our science shows and sleepovers and pizza parties. Uh, We have a lab at the front where school groups come in and do experiments with us. And we have the vertical slide, which is a 7.2 meter drop from the top, which is a lot of fun. I absolutely love the mirror maze the perception deception that occurs as you're entering the mirror maze and the excitement and the amount of times that you can do it over and over again and still get bamboozled as you're heading through there Um, but then also we've got a special section for our three to five year olds called kaleidoscope and that is an absolute rainbow of color and sensory play that's also so much fun to explore a lot of our exhibits are 25 years old There was a brilliant upswell of fundraising to get Discovery started. And when it first started, it had some great people working in the exhibit department and they made lots and lots of absolutely brilliant exhibits that have been so tough and (laughs) and resilient all these years with all the thousands of children who had a go at them. Um, So some of them are, are the original exhibits of Discovery but we've just created a new sports section. So we've got our athletes arena and that was our team. So we've got two science communicators and early years program developer. Our um, office administrator has honors in biology. Uh, She's, oh, she was studying bacteria. And so she's got this brilliant focus on, you know, trying to help us create more of those biology workshops and uh, then we've also got loads of brilliant volunteers who come in people who used to work in electrical engineering and some of them are uh, painters and decorators and uh, worked on the trams in bendigo and bringing all that together we sort of collaborate to create new exhibits and we get inspired by what's going on around us or what people are asking for
0: before coming to bendigo Alyssa travelled the world doing science communication. Her career started the way lots of science communication careers do in Australia, by completing a master's degree and training with the Shell Questacon Science Circus.
1: I travelled around doing science communication for a few years. I did forensic science show so I traveled around Australia, Ireland and the UK um, setting up crime scenes in schools and having kids solve crimes and when I decided uh, rather than living out of a backpack I was going to live in one spot I started looking for a way I could do science communication in, in one place and the job at Bendigo Science and Technology Centre popped up and their mission is to nurture and inspire scientific curiosity and I loved that it's the shell Questacon science circus that actually got me into science communication when i was in year 11 i did this science camp yes i was a nerd uh, for two weeks of my summer holidays i went to um, the australian national university to a science camp and you basically get to go meet all these different scientists in different careers and one of the most exciting ones that i saw was the science communication students, the circus students. And it got me so excited about the idea, I suddenly decided that's it, I'm going to do science communication. So I did an undergraduate degree in science communication at the Australian National University, um, all with the aim of going into their master's program of science communication outreach. And the science circus is this collaboration between um, Shell Questacon and the ANU Australian National University and you do this intensive year start really early in the year about January February and you do coursework intensively nine to five for maybe a month or two and the whole while learning how to do outreach programs science shows for schools and then we go on the road for a month straight and they'd choose a region of Australia and they'd have a semi-trailer full of exhibits like we have at Discovery. And you'd have your suitcase full of science experiments that you'd take to a school. And every weekend you'd set up a mini science center in a town hall or um, we did it outdoors sometimes <laughs> if they didn't have a town hall anywhere nearby. Then during the week, you'd go into schools and you'd do your science shows and every uh, few months you'd go to a different region. So I got to go to uh, central New South Wales my first trip and then we went down to uh, South Australia and then we went up to Broome and then we got to do far north Queensland. And uh, yeah, you get to really explore the place and get to see a lot of beautiful, unique towns. It's funny because some people who go into it, um, you, you can come from a range of different science backgrounds to get into this course. Uh, some people are research scientists before they come into it. Some people are training to be teachers before they come into it. Uh, some people, you know, do biology, geology. Some people are chemists, physicists. All different backgrounds and they all come together and do this really intensive science communication outreach program for one year and then some of them filter back to the career paths that they were originally on but some people make a massive shift after doing it and uh, end up doing science communication full time and yeah it's, it's unusual but I definitely loved my time in the circus, as we <laughs> generally tend to call it. I uh, wanted to be a vet when I was a kid. So when I was 13, I started lo- volunteering at our local veterinary practice. And after about six months, they gave me a job there. And I was working at the veterinary practice all the way through high school. I was so convinced I wanted to be a vet. And then I heard about science communication. And I'm like, I could still do things with animals if I went into science communication. I actually uh, was looking at working at a zoo before I came to Discovery. I had an interview for a, a zoo job. I was like, that would be a great way to combine science communication and my love of biology, um, but we're pretty lucky at Discovery. We've got this great mini base section, so we've got lots of insects and arachnids and things that we can explore there, and we're trying to work out how to do a few more biology workshops, which are a little bit trickier than, than your chemistry and your physics.
0: When chatting with Alyssa, I was curious about Bendigo itself and what it means for a regional town like Bendigo to have their own interactive science centre.
1: Bendigo is uh, sort of north-central Victoria and it's a town of about 120,000 um, so it's not it's not a teeny tiny town but it's got a very rich history so it's got the gold mine history it's got a lot of um, Chinese history and it really loves to celebrate that history. It's got a lot of uh, industry. We've still got the gold mines here and they play a big part in Bendigo, but we also have a lot of engineering and STEM businesses um, that are based out of Bendigo. I think it's a really special thing to have a science centre in a small town because it becomes a really big part of people's childhood. And we have a lot of people who come to the centre who say they came when they were children, now they're bringing their kids or their grandkids. And uh, you really get this sort of family community feel around being a regional science center because it becomes a community hub we have uh, parents groups that come in every single week to meet up and have a coffee and let the kids play and then you have school groups that come back every single year for their sleepover and the kids look forward to it and they know their older siblings went on that sleepover and maybe even their cousins or parents went on that sleepover Um, so being regional you really get a feel of just how much the community values the Science Centre and what it can do for the community that I think might be forgotten a little bit in the bigger cities. I mean, I'm from a very small town. I'm from a town, it was about Five thousand when I was growing up, but now it's about eight thousand. And I mean, I'd never heard of an engineer until sort of late high school and um, all those sorts of career paths I'd never really thought of until much much later when you sort of start thinking about university and things like that. Uh, Bendigo's lucky we have a university, which means that it really opens up discussions about what you can do and where you can go with things. Um, but yeah, there's definitely areas of the community if it's not if it's not a sporting event then <laughs> then why would you waste your weekend on it? Um, and we, by making science fun, by making science accessible and uh, not making science all about uh, lab coats and grey beards and massive textbooks, hope to reach those people who don't usually think of science as for them. And by uh, making it wow, fun, a bit of an attraction or an amusement in some some regards, We really hope to reach those families who may not have thought of it that way.
0: For the Bendigo community, the Discovery Science and Technology Centre represents an important resource for two main reasons. Firstly, as a resource for educators and local schools. And secondly, as a resource for the general public and as a tourist attraction drawing visitors into the town. I asked Alyssa how the Discovery Science and Technology Centre manages these two priorities and how they come together in the final product.
1: It originally started as mostly an attraction so it was made for tourism and for families Uh, now we like to think of it as an institution during the week and an attraction on weekends that way we have all our school groups come visit during the week we have our um, curious kids sessions which are our three to five year old sessions where we tie in STEM activities with literature and um, craft and exploration and We do lots of uh, school activities and incursions and excursions during the week. And then on weekends, we do birthday parties and we have family visits and we have science shows. Um, So that switch from being purely an attraction to education, institution during the week and attraction on weekends probably happened uh, fairly gradually. But there was definitely a big shift maybe um, from what I I remember hearing about six years ago when it switched from being managed by the local trust um, who did a lot of our historic tourism uh, to being an independent incorporation. I think it's great to have that really education curriculum based focus during the week um, but you know working with schools working with class that is uh, one way of thinking about education but working with families is a totally different way of getting that education message in in a way that it becomes less this is science is school work and fun is fun on weekends, we get to blend those and we get to make it obvious to not just the kids, but their families that doing science, technology, engineering, maths, arts, combining it all together is something that you can do uh, all throughout your life and all throughout the day. And you don't have to be, you know, a genius to do those things. You just have to have the passion and the curiosity.
0: I wanted to ask Alyssa, as a professional science communicator, how important is it that people walk away from the activities she runs with some sort of science literacy and the ability to understand a complex scientific topic?
1: I don't know. I don't, I don't think about it as science literacy. I think about it as inspiring that curiosity. We say to parents, teachers, the kids themselves, to be a scientist, you need to do three things. You need to ask a question, you need to have a guess, and then you need to test. And while we're testing, we don't just do it, we like to observe. So we look, listen, feel, smell. Sometimes we get to taste, not always when you're in the lab. Probably best not to do it when you're out on the floor. But it, um, yeah, it, it makes it a little bit more accessible. And I think if you're asking those questions, having a guess and testing, then that's that's science literacy for me that's having a go i think i love inquiry-based learning because it lets them lead and when when a child gets to lead suddenly you see this spark of excitement and when they're doing it in a group they can really bounce off each other as they go and it suddenly doesn't become about the answers you're learning just by testing and trialing and practicing. And it's one of the really hard things to do when you're doing experiments and activities with kids is Is not to tell them something's going to fail. Like you can clearly see, you've done it a million times, you know something's not going to work. And we're very used to um, stopping kids from failing. But one of the great things that happen when you fail is that you learn, you innovate, you try something new and... Getting to do that, get hands on and have to solve something that's right in front of you. Um, I think switches you off from yay, I'm learning or, or boo, I'm learning. I don't want to do that. That's scary. That's intimidating. And suddenly it's just, it's a game. It's a trial. It's a something you can do. Um, and I think that helps when it's, when it's no longer the um, right or wrong answer. It's a, let's just see what happens Um, suddenly it can get past that barrier where it's the students who are a little bit nervous about just exploring um, trial and error until until you get excited about something i think that i think it's hard to get across that a lot of learning can come from entertainment i I really worry that a lot of the time we focus on um, pedagogy, you know, reciting in education. And I think that a lot of learning can come from uh, collaboration. And I love it when kids teach kids, when one kid has discovered something and are so excited to share what they know with others that suddenly they become the teacher and they want to learn more so that they can teach more and it really empowers them to do things and that's that's not anything they're going to get out of a book and that's really really hard to test on an exam and I do definitely find it tricky when we're we're running professional development sessions for teachers and they say great now how do you test what what mark can I give them out of this and I'm like well a lot of the the testing and the marks are going to be anecdotal. <laughs> it's going to be what they were doing rather than ticking a box that they, you know, they were able to get one plus one is two at the end of it. Um, but you can see that a kid who originally didn't know the concepts of aerodynamics suddenly is creating paper planes and experimenting with things and getting more lift and creating ways of getting new thrust and working on the drag. And they may not initially from experimenting know the terms that they're meant to be using, but through that play and exploration, they are learning a lot. So yes, I do find that that dynamic of education and entertainment tricky. But I think the switch is less about balancing, you know, less entertainment for more education and more changing the way we look at education.
0: Science and experimenting are all about pushing your own boundaries and questioning your expectations. The Discovery Science and Technology Centre have this entire concept brought to life in a great big physical metaphor – a 7.2 meter vertical slide that asks visitors to literally free fall off a 7.2 meter ledge and trust that physics will get them to the ground safely. Ask Alyssa how visitors to the center take on this challenge and what she's learned from watching people do it.
1: Ah, the vertical slide. It is, it's huge. <laughs> it's funny from the bottom, it doesn't always look so big, but when you're standing at the top looking down, it really does look like a vertical drop, but it's not it's an angle and uh, what we often use it to explore is we we look at friction and gravity and we're exploring a lot of the forces in physics and that vertical slide that sort of fear factor that that trusting in the science before you let go in something that's quite scary um is a great way to to get over some of those boundaries and you know what you don't even have to do it a lot of people just come up and have a look and watch other people do it and i think that is a valuable lesson as well that you can understand all the science um but you also have to trust your instincts and and do what feels right for you so just because Someone tells you it's fine. You've got to experiment and see what works for you. And I love the vertical slide because it is this massive, big incline and kids walk all the way to the top. And there's a lot of anticipation and a lot of practice of the right processes before you go up there. You know, you've got to cross your arms and put your chin on your chest before you let go. And you get all the way to the top, you sit on the edge, you hold that bar, you lower yourself down so you are dangling from a bar. It looks like a 7.2 meter vertical drop and then when you let go you fall for less than a second before you're actually sliding. It's so funny because you can have people who have done it a million times and then get up there one day and just go no I can't do it today. And then you'll have other people who you know, try a million times and suddenly one day it clicks for them. Um, some people who never want to do it, <laughs> happy just to have a look at other people doing it. Um, but one of my favorites was we had an adult who uh, came up the top of the slide and they were telling us about like their skydiving and you know how they love bungee jumping and they got up there and they're like, I can't do it. I can see the ground and nothing's holding on to me. I'm the one who has to let go and And there's no parachute and there's no rope holding onto me. I can't, I can't just let go. (laughs) So yeah, it's, it's very different for everyone. And sometimes you find that when they're really little, they don't know to be afraid. So we do have an age limit. You've got to be at least five years old to have a go on the vertical slide. And sometimes those little ones just have no fear because their parents have told them that it's safe and they trust them absolutely and so they will just do it and sometimes as an adult your mind starts working a little too fast
0: (laughs) like all science centers across the country the discovery science and technology center had to close its doors last year and being in victoria and only a couple of hours drive from melbourne this meant closing for most of the year when we recorded this interview late last year the center still hadn't opened to the public I asked Alyssa how they've had to change their activities and what this means for them moving forward.
1: It has been a very strange year. Um, yeah, back in March we had to close the doors and we had, I think it was about four months where we couldn't open the doors at all. We got two weeks of doors open for one school holidays and then everything got locked down again and we're still not open back to the public. Um, but as the minute lockdown began and families were having to homeschool their kids, we were getting messages from people about, you know, what can we do? How do we do this? What do we, how do we keep our kids entertained? Particularly when people couldn't go to the shops or when they were going to the shops, a lot of the resources that they were looking for weren't there because people were buying things out. So we very quickly switched to online workshops and It was really intimidating at first when you're used to feeding off the energy in the room, having people right there, asking questions and doing the experiments and saying, but what if I add more? Being able to hand them the ingredients so they can add more and see what happens is really great. But what we learned is that by switching to online, doing online live workshops, we were able able to learn names we were able to see their experiments right in front of them if you've got a room full of 60 kids it's very hard to get around to everyone's desk to see what's happening with their experiment at the exact same time to see if there's a reason something's not working for them on my screen in front of me i can see those 60 experiments all at once and see exactly who's doing something strange that's not going to work for the experiment. And then you also get the added bonus of everyone has different things at home. So you may say, um, okay, guys, we're going to do an experiment. We need citric acid and the stores run out of citric acid because everyone's gone and bought it. So people are like, so I'm going to use a lemon. I'm going to use a lime. I'm going to use an orange. I'm going to see if I can do it with something with vinegar. So (laughs) it doesn't work as well. Doesn't work. (laughs) totally different, but then you're getting a variety, you're getting more experiments occurring and you're getting lots of different results right there. So while we definitely miss having the face-to-face and we can't do the hands-on exhibits right now, having that online workshop has been a really fun new way of doing things. We've been really lucky. We have gotten a grant from the Department of Education and Training and they have given us money to continue doing these online workshops for schools. And we've actually already got schools signing up to our online program. So even though the students are now back in the classroom for us, uh, there's lots of schools that there are teachers who don't feel comfortable or confident in teaching science. And having someone who can be there on the screen, uh, answering the kids' questions, doing experiments with them, once a week for an hour and a half a week is an amazing resource that these little schools of five, 10, 15 kids in the whole school would never have been able to access. So, and it can also really help boost the teacher's confidence because they can see that the experiments they're doing aren't scary and big and hard and that the kids can do it and that they can do it along with us as well. And that it can spark ideas for them to continue afterwards. So for us, What we've learnt isn't going away and it's not going to waste. We're excited that we're going to be continuing to do it and deliver it for hopefully next two years, maybe even three. We've got penciled in um, workshops and appointments and and schools that we can do it with.
0: The need to develop online activities has presented science centres with the opportunity to try out new approaches to education but I wanted to ask Alyssa whether she thinks online engagement will ever be as good as face to face.
1: I think it's really tricky at the moment. I think that online is so valuable for regional and remote areas. I think giving them those opportunities, those who can't make it to the science center to be hands-on shouldn't miss out on the opportunity to do a hands-on experiment. And I think getting to do things in person and feed off the energy in the room is amazing. And I think it's something that I definitely value now more than ever. But I think that realizing that we've got this resource now and that it can be so useful and it can be a great equalizer, um, you know, maybe people can't get to the center because they're a long way away, but maybe they can't get to the center because there's physical reasons why they can't go there there's lots of reasons why someone can't come in so why not bring it to them and if you innovate and you find ways of doing things so that people can access it no matter where they are no matter you know what they're doing it's it's a really lovely thing i mean something as simple as we had families who love our curious kids sessions and were never able to come to the center because that's nap time for one of their kids. And so you can't take one kid out of their nap time when another kid needs to do something. This way you can do both. So yeah, there's, there's really simple ways that it's made a massively positive impact, but I don't think it'll ever replace the, the face-to-face in person. It just means that we've got something else we can do.
0: There are a lot of similarities between the Discovery Science and Technology Centre in Bendigo and what stands to be possible with the Boiler House Discovery Space. It's a regional science centre with a university campus nearby, and it's built out of a refurbished industrial building. I took the opportunity to ask for Alyssa's advice on what the boiler house needs to do to succeed once it's built.
1: I would say one of the special things about Discovery um, that I would recommend that any other science centre do is you are for your community. You are about your community. One of the things that people remember about discovery is that it's in an old historic railway goods shed and we celebrate that. We're in a mining town and we celebrate that. We we explore those sorts of things and celebrating your community and how unique that area is and making the science relevant to people's lives filters through that, that community lens. You're embedded in the community and you become part of people's life and their memories and how they shape their future and so reflecting who they are and what they love and what they want to know more about um, definitely influenced discovery and I think that's been a massively positive thing and I think yeah if, if you can celebrate the community that you're in that's a wonderful thing.
0: To find out more about the Discovery Science and Technology Centre, visit their website, discovery.asn.au. This podcast is recorded on Anaiwan country and has been brought to you by the University of New England. To find out more about the Boiler House Discovery Space, visit uneboilerhouse.org.au. Thanks for listening. We'll see you here next time on Curiosity Built the Boiler House.